you're getting a bit a bit too big for your britches. Maybe shut up a little bit. Radio Drome. Welcome to a thoroughly ridiculous episode of Radio Drome. The show has gone on so long it can't help but become a ridiculous thing. So I am Josh Hadley. With me as always is the Canadian monkey man, the Peter. You can make baby, babe? Come up with something different. Jesus, you've used that no. like a dozen times. No, I will say that as many times as I feel comfortable with. The Cecil who has to put up with Peter and I all the time. Oh, Cecil loves me. Oh, go, go I take certainly a, go do. Go take a short walk off a long pier or I whatever would, the quote is. I would hug the both of you if uh, we weren't, <laughs> you know, hundreds of miles apart. But in so. Canada land. I will see you and I will hug you both. I will see you. <laughs> <laughs> well, him being in another country means he can't use the Adam and Eve code, but all of you in America, you could. We're still in sort of that lockdown thing. You guys get a little something to keep yourself occupied. You go to adamandeve.com, you use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping, all for using the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. And also, we're going to be talking about movie franchises tonight. You might want to look for some of these. They're not all available legally. So you might need something like a VPN. NordVPN would be your choice then. You go to 1201beyond.com backslash DromeVPN, and you'll be able to get give you access to Nord's site through our code. You'll be able to get 75% off of a three-year plan. That's only $3.79 a month for Nord's protection to encode your data, to protect your data, help you get around on region locking, basically the digital condom that you need to surf the internet these days. Franchises are a thing. They've always been a thing. What makes a franchise go off the rails? And by off the rails, what I mean is as a franchise ages, they tend to get more ridiculous and further away from what they began as. Not always, what causes a franchise to do that? Is it just a longevity that's built into, well, we're eight or nine movies in, of course they're not going to resemble the first anymore, or are there external forces? Why does a franchise go off the rails so hard that they become unrecognizable from what they began as? I said a long time ago, I don't, I, I don't remember which video it was specifically, but I said if a horror franchise goes along long enough, eventually it goes into space with uh, Leprechaun, Hellraiser, Friday the 13th, keeps happening. I think the reasoning behind it is they've done the same thing so many times that they want to do something different. They, they're like, okay, well, people aren't watching it as much as they used to. The franchise has gone long enough, not long enough for us to stop. It's still becoming profitable, but we are starting to see some sort of franchise fatigue. So we want to do something to reinvigorate it. So they'll do something completely off the rails. They'll go bonkers. They're like, okay, we'll bring in a team and let's say, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to have this take place outside of the normal uh, location. We're going to have this character all of a sudden is not the main character. They're going to do something to try to shake things up. And sometimes it works. Sometimes, in my humble opinion, with something like Friday the 13th Part X went into space. It was ridiculous, but it was a lot of fan service. It was really fun. And I think that they were just trying to do something really to, to be a little bit different. cast of uh, Andromeda pretty much and put it into the movie. Right. You know, they were just trying to be <laughs> silly and have fun with this. And they, they didn't really, you know, it was, even though it was a, you know, a main series entry, so to speak, it wasn't a side, you know, sequel. At least it was, they went like very over the top with it and it felt kind of even if you don't like the movie you can see kind of the fun that went into it yeah and you laugh at the self-awareness of it for example them poking fun at the um the the sleeping bag death yes where like oh that's he's great just, bap bap 
bat, you know, just like to the point of where it's just like even, Kane even Hodder Kane can't even Hodder swing talked it. About, even Hodder talked about how, how much fun he had with that. Like they were just having a good time. So sometimes yeah. it works, sometimes it doesn't. And then other times you have, you'll get somebody in there who thinks that they're smarter than everyone and wants to take it in a direction that's completely wrong and consequently ends up ruining the franchise. In the case of something like Jason X, that's a perfect example. And I like Jason X a lot. I think it's probably the best film since part six in that franchise. You look, at, you, you look at Jason X and then you look at the first film and you kind of ask, how did we get here? So, I mean, you you start off with it's a summer camp and it's a bereaved mom killing the, the, the ciphers for the teens that killed her son. Nothing supernatural since the ending has been confirmed, you know, in the first one was supposed to be a dream. Then you've got more killing and then you've got zombies and then you've got telekinesis and it just progressively keeps getting more and more ridiculous and more and more off the rails but it happened so relatively slowly i'm not going to say it felt organic it's not as notice it wasn't as noticeable when you had a year or year and a half between each of these and oh now he's a zombie oh now a telekinesis is there you look at him as a <laughs> whole okay this got ridiculous really goddamn fast what do you think made it transition like that was it just were they chasing the audience like well the we got to keep getting bigger uh i don't think so i i think what they were doing with friday the 13th was like they already kind of hit that peak of teen slasher campground kind of horror film and then they were trying to do other stuff with it they were like okay well what else could we do with jason let's let's pair him up with a telekinetic mind power person let's send him to new york let's have him come back like frankenstein you know and, and jason lives or whatever i think with that series it didn't necessarily go off the rails there was just only so much you could do with it i think with friday the 13th i just think they were trying to see what envelope they could push with the jason Voorhees character and with the jason lore i i, I think that's that's kind of what they were doing with that See, I, I'm not 100% sure because it seems like, and this is not just a Friday the 13th thing, this seems like it's most franchises that go on too long. Paramount movies go, they sort of still stuck to the same sort of routine, even if it was Jason going to New York or Jason fighting a telekinetic chick, it was still at that point a body count franchise. Whereas with Jason Goes to Hell, that's where they were like, what if he hops body? What if he goes to different... Shut up. Like, it's terrible. Jason X, if anything, if you think about it, is more of a true sequel to the Paramount films than uh, Goes to Hell. So I, I don't think they were really grasping too far as far as that series went because it was still, when Paramount owned it, very much a body count franchise but they were like what if we paired him up against a, a paranormal psychic chick what if we sent him to new york but in the same case the movies themselves were still very much how many people can jason kill in an hour and a half see i i disagree with that i think there are many external forces in a in a long-standing franchise kind of losing the plot because you have all these external forces one they're chasing the audience or sometimes they're reading the room but they're reading the room wrong other times they could be chasing market trends but i think the worst in the friday the 13th franchise is the absolute example of this is friday the 13th the first movie was so much of a success that it spawned yeah. all of these knockoffs. Well, the knockoffs started adding supernatural elements and started adding this. To compete, you had to start adding the elements that the ripoffs started adding. Otherwise, you would look like you were being left behind, even though you were the trailblazer. So in a way, the Friday the 13th franchise and most slasher franchises started looking like the knockoffs of the original more. And I think that's part of the reason that they lost the plot so much. The knockoffs ended up affecting them, maybe not directly, but very heavily indirectly. Ended up happening with the Halloween series. Like, Michael Myers ended up turning into more of a Jason Voorhees character. Leaving slashers out of it, you see this in... 
obviously sci-fi franchises, it's much easier if there's a fantasy element, if there's a horror movie element, if there's a science fiction element. Keep bringing your killer back to go to another dimension or something like that. But you see this in non-supernatural franchises as well, like the best of the best movies. We did that retrospective on the <laughs> four, and you start off with a, term- a tournament fighter movie, and then you to, go to... To literally fighting, uh, fighting Jigsaw. Because you start off as a tournament fighter, then you go to underground tournament, so you're like, okay, I can still see that as kind of a natural progression, you're just getting a little bit bigger, then we're freeing a town that's been taken over by neo-Nazis, and then we're stopping the Russian mob from destroying the U.S. economy, and you're like, wow, we went off the rails pretty quickly, didn't we, here with Best of the Best? Well, the thing with Best of the Best is, though, they're one of the ones where even though the sequels went off the rails and were bonkers, they're like pretty great. There is something to be said about a series that does go. It's kind of a continuation of the the story. But instead of I mean, I guess it's really weird with Best of the Best because the original uh, movies were really kind of an ensemble. It, you, know, yeah. you had Eric Roberts and all these other you, you people. You had Eric Roberts. You had that. Uh, who's the Asian dude philip was a philip Ree, but you chose for it to be his you know to follow him which was cool because then all right yeah you got this really awesome i i love that character yeah he was he he directed three and four as well so he kind of took over the franchise the first movie is almost a sports movie i mean it it is about you know team competition and if you look at the structure it's the same as a football movie as a baseball movie it's the same structure it's like a martial arts version of rocky essentially okay but now we're we're fighting jigsaw and svenily thorson because they're trying to destroy the american economy with counterfeiting wait what that would be like in like a third necessary roughness sequel if they were stopping cia assassins <laughs> it would just it doesn't feel natural and especially again like with the friday the 13th and that when you have a year or two between movies it's not as jarring when you watch them in retrospect, it's way more jarring when you watch all four best of the best in two days. You can really see this went off the rails fast, didn't it? And I, I know the Kickboxer movies did that too, or or was it the Bloodsport? The, 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 no, they... it was Kickboxer. It was Kickboxer, where you had Sasha Mitchell come in after first film, because it was, it was Van Damme in the first one, and then he shows up as the long-lost brother of of the two that were in the first film because of like the first movie was just about like the brother getting revenge for his brother getting crippled by tong po and then in the second one tong po literally guns the brothers down because of how bitter he feels about the tournament not going in his favor so there's a long lost brother that shows up that fights tong po and then the cia gets involved because tong po is running drug ring human trafficking ring out of mexico so there's this whole franchise of the youngest brother of the whatever van damme family is trying to track down tong po and fight him and beat him and kill him in these like weird human trafficking hired by the cia mission fighting matches kickboxer is definitely one of those franchises that like went very very randomly off the rails sticking with van damme the Bloodsport franchise did the same thing. By the time you get to <laughs> four, you know, they're going undercover in Russian prisons. Man, don't eat, just stop calling these these same movies. Now, I'm not saying a franchise can't grow and evolve. That's kind of the point of a franchise, to grow and evolve. But in many cases, they don't. In many cases, they just get weird. That's the only way I can really put a lot of these, is like, they get weird. Like, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. First one starts <laughs> off, the first film starts Starts off in kind of realistic, almost dirty documentary sort of thing. Then the second film, that's more of like a satire of not only the first film, but what slasher movies had become. Then the third film adds all these weird elements, and it would have been way weirder if the original script had been shot. Originally, Leatherface was supposed to, the face he was wearing was from a punk rocker, so he'd have a pink fright wig on the whole time. Things like that. They said no. The thing with the first first three Texas Chainsaw Massacre films, what makes them work and doesn't actually make them go all that off the rails if you think about it is in the first film 
Leatherface is very childlike. He's basically a kid. He's very, uh, in, a, in a strange way, very innocent. In the second film, he is a kid going through puberty. He's incredibly horny, which you see that a lot through the second film. In the third film, he is a kid going through a rebellious stage. He goes against a lot of his family. He makes his own brother, when he throws his uh, Walkman into the oven, he makes him pick it out, makes him take it out of it. He's basically this kid that's like listening to like heavy metal and he's very rebellious and all this shit. So in my opinion, the first three, at least Texas Chainsaw one, two and three work as a cohesive unit because you do see an evolution of the Leatherface character in terms of the way that he is with his very limited brain is uh, aging which I really like, which is why the fourth film, The Next Generation, shits itself so fucking hard. But also with the fourth film, they add the CIA, and they imply aliens, and oh, this is all so an experiment. They like, and they're trying to do like, oh, it's a, it's a whole Illuminati thing. Like, God, yeah, go away. And, and, so bad. And not even just that. And then you've got like 3D, which adds the whole, oh, time doesn't exist, and someone oh. born in the 70s is only 18 in the 2000s. Oh, my and, God. You know, and then the whole get em cuz the later movies don't even resemble the earlier movies no not at all it, it just completely lost the plot i feel like the only i mean i don't mind the. i don't i actually really don't mind the marcus nispel remakes too much because at least they're kind of their own things but beyond that every other thing they've tried to do every other iteration the the get him cuz movie the prequel they try to do where he wears like what the the cow mask or whatever it's just it's just terrible. It's really that franchise, I think, may be the best example of a franchise that went off the rails and did it so, so wrong. What about when the franchise goes off the rails because I brought up earlier they're chasing the audience? They're not making the movies for the movie's sake anymore. They're making the movies for the audience that is watching them, not the audience that they want, like the Police Academy films. First movie is an R-rated it's basically a teen sex comedy with early adults. Then that had a huge audience on cable of people who couldn't legally see the movie. So then, okay, the second one, we're not going to be as hard, but we're still a, a pretty hard PG-13. And then, oh, our audience is mostly kids. Well, PG, PG, eventually they ended up G-rated. Th that yeah. franchise, the entire thing, and you know, then you've got the live-action TV series, the cartoon, the video games, it literally became a children franchise because they were chasing the audience rather than tried to make good movies it was the audience is now children and I think that is why a franchise can go off the rails when you're chasing an audience and you're chasing the wrong audience basically what happened with the uh, Tim Burton Batman movies when they gave it to Joel Schumacher it's also what happened to the Revenge of the Nerds franchise. It was the yes. first one was very hard R and then PG-13, PG made for TV movie really filtered down quickly. I mean, within the span of four movies, it went from the hardest of the hard to essentially what was the softest of the soft, you know, made for TV movies, especially back then. I think with police Academy movies, they, they got more and more goofy and they started off. Yes. It did start off essentially a, you know, teen sex comedy in a police Academy, but it had its heart in the right place. It's legitimately funny. They did uh, a lot of things really good. And I think they kind of kept up at that for a little bit. Like two was still edgy, but yeah, they did eventually over time. It just, when Gutenberg left and, and it was more about the side characters and they just kept reusing bits. The dude that and was making the, uh, Michael the Winslow. Effects. Yeah. Michael yes. Winslow, uh, you know, became more and more of an integral character as opposed to a side character. Michael Winslow is actually the only actor who's in all of the movies. Every, episode of the tv series and voiced his character on the cartoon he's the only actor that's been in everything police academy don't move dirtbag funny the first movie but then they had to keep doing that like every time it's like because you're just waiting for when she finally cracks and oh it's funny she yells at him and which is why i said they were chasing the audience that's the problem when you're chasing an audience with a franchise you've got to give them the hits well they're yeah, expecting you give them the catchphrase they're expecting this they're expecting that they're expecting this 
And so you're never able to actually try anything really different, which dumbs everything down. And you also get the reverse of that in some franchises when they go on too long, where I don't care, just do whatever you want. Well, but it clashes with the I don't care, just do it. Where you get these franchises, it's just a whole bunch of disconnected people that aren't making a movie because they've got a great story to tell. They're making a movie because we gotta make a movie. Like Hellraiser. You have the first film, which is great. Then you have the second film, is very different, but it, it seems like it could be a logical progression from the first movie. Third film where it's like, well, I want to make it a slasher franchise. Then the fourth oh, film, well, I want to make it a sci-fi period piece. Then the fifth film, well, I want to make it a psychological thriller. And the sixth film, oh. well, I want to make it a well, revenge tale. After part four, which the director had his name removed from because it was not the movie that he wanted to make, it was scripts that were not Hellraiser movies but they had the Hellraiser license so they shoehorned in Hellraiser to it so that one I think is a really weird kind of as far as I know I don't think there's ever been another franchise that has really done that where they've continued where each subsequent sequel was a script that was existing as something else that they shoehorned in franchise elements so it's like okay well this was a, a horror like cop drama all right, well, we're going to put Pinhead in there. Okay, this is a uh, a slasher movie that revolves around the internet. Okay, we're going to put Pinhead in there. It's like, what? And I, I still don't, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I am 99% sure those last two prophecy movies were not written as prophecy sequels, if you remember from our Christmas retrospective. To me, there's no way those were written as prophecy four and five. They just became prophecy four and five. And, and the Hellraiser franchise is endemic of this as well. Okay, we, we have the, the first movie of, you know, whether it's Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, whatever. It stands on its own. Now, at the time, these movies were not made with sequels in mind because that wasn't a big thing yet. So then, okay, we got, we got to come up with a sequel. Well, we got to come up with a way to bring the killer back or the monsters or explain something. All right, we can maybe do that. And then as you go on to further sequels, well, we got to explain the origin of this. Well, we've got to explain this. We got to explain that. The movies get so bogged down in, ironically enough, continuity when a lot of these movies are continuity nightmares. They, they try and explain so much that doesn't need explaining. And that, I think, bogs it down, too. Like, when you watch Friday the 13th, you, you don't have anything to... Let's leave Nine out of it completely with the Deadites and all that. You don't need to know anything about Jason's past or Pamela Voorhees and then we're explaining this and then in Nightmare on Elm Street, well, he was the killer and then he was involved in this and you don't need all of these backstories. And, and I think that's what bogs everything down, like the Child's Play movies. I don't like the Child's Play movies. None of them. And the, but the first one, it Brad worked for... Brad Dourif would like a word with you. Brad Dourif <laughs> is great, but... <laughs> but the whole voodoo element, which wasn't even supposed to be in the original movie, keeps getting expanded, and then he gets added powers, and then the voodoo can now do this, and then the voodoo can now do this, and now we can transfer bodies, and it just... it tends to get more ridiculous because you're forced to explain things that should have just been left alone. Well, it does get a bit a bit crazy, but I think with the Child's Play movies, I do think that's more of a, at least with those ones, because we started it off with kind of a voodoo subplot with how he gets into the children's toy body kind of but thing. But he's basically a with. wizard I, by like the eighth or ninth movie. No, it makes sense, though. I think it's more uh, of a natural progressive and more indicative of what the first movie was. Whereas, like, if you compare the Halloween movies or even like Friday the 13th, I think those ones went a lot more off the rails than Child's Play did. Because at least in Child's Play, we already kind of knew from the beginning of those that he could use voodoo to put himself into, like, the physical realm of, like, another thing as he was about to die. So it's like, I, I, I kind of forgive the, the, the Chucky movies a little bit more than some of the other ones, if that makes sense. Hey, here's the monster. Hey, let's tell you all about the monster. No, <laughs> we don't need it. I think explaining stuff, don't explain the monster away. I think explain the rules. And by the rules, I mean, okay, here we have a monster. Here is what can defeat it or something. You know, explain that 
to a certain degree. But don't go into over explanation mode because all that does is make something less scary. It we don't need boring. to it makes it boring. You know, we don't need to see what happened to the monster, you know, that he had a, a bad upbringing or whatnot. It, it, uh, like, it's too, like, what like zombie did with Ken Myers. Right. I mean, it's something like what they did with Nightmare on Elm Street 3, where we find out that Freddy was the the son of a thousand bastard murderers and rapists. Something like that, because it was a it was a side little thing where it was like, hey, here's what happened. They, you know, they they raped a nun like repeatedly and she gave birth to this kid who grew up to be crazy. I think that fine. That wasn't like a mass. That wasn't like an hour of the film. I think that so many films will spend too much time explaining things and thus making it not scary trying to i don't know humanize it or or just or they just, think the audience just make it scarier stupid. than it needs to be like oh it's this and then this happened and this and this and it's like eventually it gets to a point where it feels like that kid we all knew when we were growing up growing up in grade school and elementary school that did not see the actual r-rated movie and was trying to like make pretend of what they really saw and it's like okay you're getting you're getting a bit a bit too big for your britches maybe shut up a little bit the ultimate in a franchise going off the rails is one that's been talked to death and that's the fast and the furious franchise you started off with a point break miami vice ripoff of undercover cop in a street racing gang and then you end up with they're saving the world from genetically engineered supermen who are trying to release a plague that will wipe out 99% of humanity and now they're going into space and it's like if you, if you watched the first Fast and the Furious movie and the last Fast and the Furious movie you could never guess that these were part of the same franchise and now you've got amnesia and oh this character's dead ah but it was a fake out and they faked their death and the evil twin brother and it Ugh. it went so soap opera-y especially because the first Fast and the Furious was Vin Diesel and Paul Walker and then if you go to Hobbs and Shaw it's The Rock and Jason Statham so you're like wait okay this is a, a spin-off of the main series but what the like it's not even the main <laughs> characters anymore so it's so far removed and I that, that's a case of where I've never seen a franchise that uh, there's as far as I know you feel free to correct me but there's never been a franchise that's been that big that has gone so far off the rails but continues to be bigger and bigger and bigger no matter how ridiculous it gets the first one was street racing and in the in the last one they're kicking torpedoes from submarines while they're well, the driving on just like, ice. It was just street racing slash petty crime, like stealing stuff out of trucks. And right. now it's it, like, and now, now it's, it's like cyborgs and all this like weird shit. Yeah, it's it's really going that. But the thing is, as it gets more and more ridiculous, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. I mean, the franchise is a billion dollar franchise and really doesn't show any sign of slowing down. No. So I think uh, Hobbs and Shaw, the spinoff didn't do as well as they had hoped. But the main series is consistently in like the top 10 highest grossing films every year. I understand why they, in this case, why they keep going more and more ridiculous because it seems that that's what the audience is wanting. They're chasing the audience again. But in this case, they're chasing the audience that want, they're, they're chasing the right audience because if it was the wrong audience, they would be losing money. But in this case, like with the, the, with the police Academy movies, they keep chasing the audience and it kept going down and well, down it's and doing down. really, with really this, well with this. Like, they're chasing they, the audience. Yeah, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Yeah. Well, now, I, I might be about to commit film snob blasphemy right here. but Which you do every episode, so it's okay. <laughs> now, I grew up watching the Universal Monsters, the old 30s, 40s, 50s films. I loved them. Those franchises changed over time, partially due to budget, partially due to the fact that Universal never liked these movies. They always saw them as a slight, the same way Paramount did the Friday the 13th movies. A lot of people say that the Universal monster movies became completely unwatchable once comedy was introduced. Once the Abbott and Costello meet the mummy, Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein, Abbott and Costello meet Dracula and all that, that once you made them comedic, they lost everything that made them good. I'm going to disagree with that. I'm one of the few people out there, I love the Abbott and Costello meat movies. 
I think they're just as good as Todd Browning's Dracula, James Whale's Frankenstein. They're obviously different, but I think the Universal franchise, a lot of people will say that one did go off the rails by the Abbott and Costello editions. I disagree. I really dig those movies. Those were really fun. There's actually a joke I made to one of my friends recently of Abbott, like we were uh, doing a thing. Hey, yeah, but... <laughs> it was like a game. It was like a game of add add something to an existing movie, and I think one of the ones I did was Abbott and Costello meet Godzilla. That would have been fantastic. And I was like, way. that would have actually been great. Yeah, that would have been something else. I'm of two minds of the Abbott and Costello meets. I can see why people, especially older people who grew up on the Universal monster movies, saw that as sort of a slap in the face. Now they're comedic and they're bonking Dracula on the head with a cartoon sound effect and stuff. Maybe because I didn't grow up with them when they were new. I grew up watching these in the late 70s and early 80s on late night TV. I always dug them. I don't see the Abbott and Costello meets as the, as the bigger insult that 60 and 70s 70-year-old people do when they saw them new. They saw those as, what the hell did you do to my franchises? They were interesting, and they were they were done in a way that was comedic, but it was still fun. And I think that certain properties is fine for them to do a, something like that. Like, when you have something like Abbott and Costello meets the Dracula, Abbott and Costello meets the Wolfman, I think that, like, it, that wasn't a main series entry it was its own thing and i think that that's perfectly fine for taking something that was that big to do uh something silly with they were fun and they were they were kind of clever really i think that most people now when they look at something like abbott costello they just see the the foundation oh it's you know fat guy skinny guy doing dumb things you got to go back those go back decades and a lot of that was fresh and original at the time it was new it hadn't been done to death i still say who's on first is one of the most genius comedy bits ever written i mean i I, you know i love george carlin richard pryor and all that none of them have come close to the genius that is who's on first if you look at it structurally it's brilliant in the way that that whole thing is put together it it i mean the wordplay there is very difficult to get right and for a bit to be that long and that consistently funny and that consistently referenced that people are still talking about it all these years later yeah there's something to be said there that it wasn't just something that was slapped together over uh you know hey we can put this i mean that i i don't know the entire story i don't know if the entire story of that's ever been told but that was something that probably took many 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 times many nights many iterations probably iterations noodling that out to get it right yeah noodling it out to get it okay well this worked and this didn't work and finally getting it to work where okay this is the the finite you know this is the definite version of this so yeah i think that uh that is something that uh does not get uh, really enough appreciation especially from today's crowd what about a franchise where i know friday the 13th has always been accused of doing this joe bob briggs has always made the the joke that that they've made the exact same movie 12 times now what about when a franchise almost literally makes the same movie every single entry, like the Terminator franchise? So you got the first movie, then you got the second movie, which is still kind of the same story, but they did a twist to it by by mess- messing things around. Then the third movie is also sending a Terminator back in time to kill a person. Then the fourth movie doesn't necessarily deal with time travel, but it's a Terminator infiltrating to try and kill a person. Then the fifth movie, a Terminator going back Wasn't in time to kill a person. One, the, the sixth the, one, the a Terminator going back in time to kill a person. You know, the fourth one was about the future war, which yeah. is really boring. And it should have been the best one in the franchise, because I think everybody that grew up with those movies were like, oh, I would love to see a movie about the future war stuff. And then it's like we got no purple lasers. We got no blue lighting. We got none of the stuff that that James Cameron showed us in the first two films. It was boring as fuck. Gen Weiss was OK. And that latest one. Oh, God, I could not get more than 30 minutes into it. You see my point. They're all basically the exact same plot. They just well, we mess really the details call, around. I'd say, I'd say four really is call the, the Terminator same. franchise an off-the-rails kind of franchise, though, because, like, there were two really good films, and then the rest of the franchise for that tried to capitalize on how good the first two were and just couldn't do it. Like, I, I don't think it ever got to a point where it was this like over the top thing i just think they were like we have to try to top what one and two did and they just couldn't 
That's just kind of what it was. It also comes down to a franchise, especially when you're you're just making a movie. You know, maybe you're making a part two, a part three, a part four, it doesn't matter. You're concentrating on that movie. You tend to write that movie. Nowadays, people, producers go into that whole, well, you know, we're going to plan out the next four movies. We're going to plan out the next dozen movies like a Kevin Feige. In the day, especially with like a horror movie franchise, you just made that movie. When they made Halloween 4... They weren't planning Halloween 5. They weren't planning Halloween 6. When they no, made Friday they the 13th 6... They just 6, wanted to be like, okay, well, people people weren't a fan of Halloween 3, so let's bring back Michael Myers. And then it somehow kind of continued the lore. You, you tend to write yourself into a corner at that point. Because then the next writer has to go, all right, they didn't leave me a whole lot here. Now I got to figure out a way to bring the killer back. Now I got to figure out how to do this. And then the next writer will have to go, all right, now I got to figure out how to do this from the last two people who have to figure out how to do this. It? In Halloween 5, that, like, Michael Myers drifts drifts about from a, a pond or a lake or whatever. Some old dude finds him, mask and all, with the jumpsuit, and is, like, what? Like, taking care of him, giving him soup or whatever? And For it's a like, year. Oh, well, Michael Myers is strong again. Time to stab this guy. It's like, what is going on? But that is part of the problem. You end up writing yourself into a corner, and then that's how the continuity becomes a, just a complete nightmare. We did an episode on that as well, over how maybe the next writer, he's got to fill that plot hole, but he doesn't like what you did, so he's going to retcon it, and he's going to change it, and he's going to do this. And then the next one's going to be like, well, I don't like that, so I'm going to skip that one, and I'm going to do this. A good set of writers could do that. Like uh, DC Comics back in the early 80s, they had an interesting experiment that they did. They had a series, I think it was called Thriller. I, th- I think that's what it was called, this pre-Michael Jackson's Thriller, if I'm if I'm remembering the year right. And what it was is they would have an art and writing team, it was like an eight-issue miniseries, that would write an issue, and then they would have to end on a cliffhanger. And the whole thing was, then the next team would come in, a totally different writer and artist, who you couldn't talk to, would have to pick up that cliffhanger and write the next issue. And, and it was sort of this experiment to see if their write, writing and art teams could follow one another without being told what the overall plot was. It didn't quite work, but it was a good experiment. And in a way, you can see a long-running franchise is sort of that same experiment. Because usually, you have a different screenwriter, sometimes even different production teams, on each sequel who don't like what the previous one did. And in a way, that is also how a franchise can go off the rails. Because you have no internal consistency. Uh, as much as I hate to bring it up, I mean, it's rel- it's it, it relative to what we're talking about with how what happened with The Last Jedi. J.J. Abrams set up the story arc, said, here's the story arc for one, well, for the next three films. And then Ryan Johnson came in nah, after he set up. We're not all, doing that. Went in and threw out everything, did whatever the hell he wanted to do, and then said, LOL, you fix it. I f- it all up now you got to deal with it that was why with the the last one they spent a good chunk of the film trying to be well this is what happened here and we have to kind of fix this and i really it got to the point where why would you do that why like i understand okay if you wanted to subvert expectations why wouldn't you have done that with a side story or start off this series. I think that okay. has to do with Ryan Johnson's supreme arrogance of him thinking that he knows better than everybody else. You ever you ever see an He's interview real, with him? Real even thickweeds. Yeah, he, he, is, he even pre Last Jedi, this guy comes across as the most self righteous prick you'll ever see in Hollywood. Yeah. Right. My whole thing is, I okay, fine. You got oh, Star Wars fans can't handle this. You have a beloved franchise, then you do nothing but crap all over 40 years of people loving these characters and you make them into just miserable pieces of shit. And then you wonder (laughs) why people don't like that. I think that that's really what the problem is. If, If you want to do that, that's fine. But then don't act shocked when you find out that people that have been loving these characters and loving this series for decades, all of a sudden they don't like your portrayal of what you did with them. He's said he doesn't like the he doesn't like Star Wars. And then he was the guy who was chosen to direct Star Wars. Now, I do think if you want to inject lifeblood into something, okay, into a dying franchise, okay, fine. But not the second installment in a beloved franchise that has 
transitioned over to a new company. And then when you make these massive changes to it, and then you're shocked the the franchise that you know the people that have loved it for so long like now they're very lethargic towards it i mean i i loved star wars since i was a kid and i'm like and when disney first took over with what they were doing with with marvel movies i was like okay that's in good hands and then what they did with the essentially the second film it made me be like god i guess all right fine if star wars star you know you're you know this isn't your star wars okay then you don't want you really don't want my money then i mean that's fine if if that's the direction you want to go i'll just watch the old movies and be happy with that but then it became this whole the us versus them well well you don't like it because you're this and no i i didn't like it because i didn't like the changes it's, it's that an they made. awful film too but what about in that vein okay <laughs> All right, Ryan Johnson can claim all he wants that he was trying to inject life into this. Well, what about when you you do try and do that, and on paper it might have worked, but then you just go, okay, you might have just wrecked this franchise, like Trancers. So you got the first three movies, they're all kind of the same in the same kind of Terminator way, they all have the same basic plot if you say them out loud, and then they said, we really want to do something different with these. So then they go to Trancers 4 and 5. And well, four pay- they were running out of money it was because they because they, when they got to four, well, four and five were shot back to back. They were back to back, but they didn't have the they didn't have the Paramount money anymore. So that's because three three is legitimately a good movie. Three is the best like, one in the franchise. I, I love the first film. I actually think three is the best film in the franchise, though. Three is really good. Three I agree. is by far the best in the franchise. It's you, really really good. It's really good, and I I wish they would have been able to continue. With with that but the bottom line was that they just they didn't have the paramount money anymore so they couldn't really build the sets like they used to so that's why hey what are we gonna do well let's go back in time and <laughs> no it, they didn't go back in time he went to another dimension full well, of trancers as vampires and it was a well, fantasy I, now well that's what i'm saying it was that they they went and it's like hey we you know you don't need you know you don't have to build sets when you can just go to a forest and start filming romania so yeah exactly you know where they went and they did a lot of their stuff they filmed a, a ton of stuff in in romania and you know it's cheap and it you know it's easy production value i don't dislike them but it really is a drop-off in how awesome three was and then it's just four and five uh, i mean i i liked them for what they did man i love peter david even he's shocked at how much those two movies did not follow his scripts as much as he would have liked when he made he wrote the oblivion movies and he said Everything he wrote was right there. So he assumed the same thing was going to happen with Transfers 4 and 5, and it did not. No, well, they still had some money when they did Oblivion, but they didn't have any money when they were doing uh, those. Do see other franchises that might try to do that, but they don't know how to do it, like the Tremors franchise. The Tremors franchise, it's, you know, Graboids are a variation of Graboids every, every movie, fine. But then, well, now they're in the Arctic. And now there's Graboids in Africa. Now there's Graboids in Thailand. The the newest one that's coming out is Graboids in Thailand. Just variations on a theme. And really, you look at the Tremors movies, they're all basically the same film. Maybe not has gone off the rails, but you see a desperation. Well, where where, where can we have Graboid show up now? Uh, Graboid show up in the ancient past. Uh, uh, Graboid show up in the old west. Graboid show up in Thailand. Graboid show up in the in the ice. Doesn't that also kind of ring of desperation sometimes when a franchise goes on too long? Kind of. It's it's sort of the same thing that happened with Highlander. Like if you look at the Highlander sequels, you want to talk about a franchise kind of, that went off the rails? Yeah, they're kind of the same movie every time. The Mario Van Peebles sequel pretty much just feels like the first movie. Just this time we have a wizard. What is it like a like a like a Genghis Khan kind of immortal that comes back and wants to kill Connor? Other than the instead of the Kurgan, like it's pretty much the same thing. But then two went so far off the rails. <laughs> most Highlander fans don't even want to accept that two is part that of the they franchise. Were like, no, no. <laughs> and, and that then went off the rails in the second movie. This, uh, with this zeist shit. And like I said, that went off the rails in the second movie. So that didn't yeah. take long to go off the rails. Because I loved the first Highlander. And then when I saw the second one, I was like, well, they really went. 
in a new direction with this. And and I, you know, I like a lot of other people didn't like it. I mean, I, I like that they were trying something. You know what? Different. I will I will fully admit I like Highlander too. I like seeing Christopher Lambert with the long hair, the trench coat. I thought he looked cool. He like, looked I cool dug as it. hell. I dug it when I was a kid, even though it went so far off the rails of the first movie. Again, Michael Ironside as a villain was great. If if you look at it as a movie that's kind of its own thing, it's a lot of fun. But if you look at it as a sequel to Highlander, it stinks. Well, I mean, like we just talked yeah. about it last week, the Crow movies. Look at how those kind of kept getting more and more ridiculous as they went along. <laughs> you very much saw franchise fatigue in that, that they were becoming desperate to just find something to make a Crow movie out of because they thought they could squeeze a little bit more blood out of this stone. That's what we really got to look at here. Because you've got all these, you have these external forces. Maybe the market is changing. Like with, with Trancers, the whole home video market had changed to the point where they couldn't make Trancers movies the way they used to anymore. Chasing the market trends. You've got chasing the audience. You've got reading the room way wrong. You've got writing yourself into a corner. <laughs> but I, I think in a lot of cases, especially if it's a big franchise, it's the knockoffs. The knockoffs might not directly affect you, but like I said, what the knockoffs do sort of bleeds into what the main franchise does, like Alien. So you had mm. Alien and then Aliens. Then you had all these ripoffs. Then you started seeing all the elements of the Alien ripoffs being worked into Alien 3 and Resurrection. And it's like, oh my god, you guys, you, you read the room way wrong here. Let's see what we can do with Bruno Mattai's Terminator 2. Or Lujiokatsi's Contamination. <laughs> yeah, so in a way, the ripoffs do affect the main plot. And I think the Jaws franchise is, is a complete example of that. Because, okay, the second movie, I think, is still a good sequel, and it, it feels right. But then you look at Jaws 3 and Jaws 4, those feel like, it, those feel like Jaws knockoffs. And I think that was the problem. They didn't feel like Jaws movies anymore. They felt like all of the knockoffs of Jaws movies. Every generation does its own thing, and they try to market stuff. I think in general, I mean, there's there's various different reasons for it, like anything. Uh, sometimes it just goes on too long. Sometimes it changes hands too many times. Sometimes they just don't know what audience to, to look at. I think basically what they should always do in a franchise is look at and remember who your core audience is and play to them first do some things that maybe will bring in a new audience but whenever you forget who your core audience is that's when your franchise has lost the plot and that's when the franchise is no longer good because you know those new people that you're trying to pander to there's a good possibility they have no interest in your franchise anyway but if you i don't want to say pander but cater to your core audience they will be the ones that will come back time and time again if what you're making is quality. I also think that there's something about when a franchise tries to grow up with their audience, and again, I'm going to say reading the room wrong, the Hammer Dracula franchise. Everyone loved those gothic tales in the in the castle with Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing. And then they decided in 1972, nah, we got to update these. You know what's really popular right now? James Bond movies. So now Dracula and Van Helsing are in 1972, and Van Helsing's a spy for the British SAS, and Dracula's a James Bond villain. And they made a couple of those, and it was like, wow, did you read the room wrong, didn't you, Hammer? <laughs> My final thought on this is, a franchise, when it goes on too long, inevitably it's going to change. Like I said, look at Fast and the Furious 1 to Fast and the Furious 900 or whatever they're on now. Look at Friday the 13th versus Jason X. They don't even resemble the same franchise anymore. That is inevitable when you have a franchise that goes on as long as it does. You even get that sometimes in a franchise that only has two movies, like Waxwork. You got the first film, which is its own thing and is kind of a whole bunch of hodgepodge of different genres. Then you have Waxwork 2 that said, nah, let's make this a weird time-traveling swashbuckling comedy that we're not going to take serious at all and comes off like a really, really bad drunkenly written comic book of the first movie. Like, I like Waxwork 1 and 2, but 2 is an insanely far departure from the first one. They really go, I mean, again, they go into space briefly, but that's kind of fitting <laughs> in with the theme of it. They fight not Godzilla at one point in the second freaking movie. Not Zilla. Yes. 
so sometimes it like like with Highlander too, it can go off the rails right away. It doesn't well, necessarily fight- mean you got to be at the ninth movie before you go. Uh, what happened? Yeah, I mean, they fight. There's the the you know the alien uh, xeno xenomorph. You pet, you know they have the face hugger and all. That. I mean, they really they do kind of it, it is a little bit. I don't want to say parody, but humorous homage, I think, would would fit in a little better. And it does kind of make sense because the first film was various homages and it made but sense. But it was a you know, straight they to... homage in the first film. It right, was they went played to straight. They went to the, the second mummy. film is a goddamn comedy. Oh, yeah. The second film is a comedy. They really went by. But I mean, but like I said, I enjoy both of them for for different reasons. It is one of the few where the sequel goes so far off the rails that uh, I don't even think that the sequel got a theatrical release. No, I, I, I think it did. I know I've got it on. The only reason I own that movie is because it's on a two pack with the first movie. But so a franchise can go off the rails for a lot of reasons. And I think usually it has to do with age and not being thought out well enough. Because like I said, most of the times these weren't meant to be franchises. They were meant to be, we're just making another movie. And I think that's also the problem. uh, Yeah, it was, uh, it was spitballing in a lot of ways. On that note, where can people find Cecil having been franchised to death? (laughs) You can find me at uh, goodbadflix.com as well as goodbadflicks on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. Where can people find Peter just being Canadian? Oh, uh, you can find me wild child and Twitter on YouTube, not no longer on Facebook at Patreon at Zenimatica, and of course on 1201beyond.com. I'm just I'm just doing my thing. That's all it is. I'm just I'm just being Canadian. Being the guy, the dude. And you can find me at 1201beyond.com. Contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night. Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.